0: Hebrews chapter number 10. That's where we'll be looking and invite you to grab a copy the scriptures and turn with me there Hebrews chapter number 10 if you need a Bible there's one in front of you in the back of the pew we'd love for you to follow along and as we have heard sung about this morning already the word of God endureth forever it is powerful it is sharper than a two edged sword and so we endeavor this morning to study it and then to apply it to our lives and the first part obviously as we're talking about construction you see here up above me and the uh, rise up and build is the call we're trying to answer and uh, we're talking about tools of edification of building up. uh, But number one is the foundation, as we've talked about already. Uh, And as those men just sing about, they're talking about being ready for Christ's return. Well, to be ready for Christ's return, you have to have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come to realization that you are a sinner destined for a place called hell because of that sin, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that he loved you enough and each one of us enough to die on the cross, shedding his blood to pay the penalty for our sins so that you and I could lose hell and gain heaven. I'll tell you right now, friend, that's the best deal going. It's the greatest gift that has ever been offered. If you'll just simply trust Christ, look to him as the scriptures say, and put your faith in him for heaven he has promised that He'll save you. That's the foundation that God has provided. And now He calls you and I to build upon it. As believers, as those who put our faith and trust in Christ. And Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 18 is where we've been looking as far as uh, kind of our key verse. And uh, Nehemiah writes, he says, Then I told them of the hand of God which was good upon me, the idea of God's blessing, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And he, they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work and that is exactly what we're trying to do as we study this verse we understand that it says god's blessing is upon us and that he has provided everything we need uh, to be strengthened for the work at hand first of all we understood that being saved having put our faith and trust in jesus christ first and foremost that foundation that now i'm called to build upon it and then uh, he's given us everything we need to build all the tools that we need. And then he calls us to build up one another. To build up our marriages. To build up our families. To build up our church and, and our community. Uh, to literally take the tools that he has entrusted to us. And we've identified it really takes this. Three aspects for you and I. Number one, we've got to be a willing work site who then in turn, as he works on me, I become a willing worker to be used of God, using the tools that he has given to work on each other, every other believer, and then to willingly answer the call, rise up and build. We don't come to church just to sit in a pew. We're not saved just to get to heaven someday. We are saved to rise up and build. Build our own lives, build the lives of others. And we've seen that. And we understood uh, just a few verses we looked at. Psalm one twenty seven one. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain to build it. He's got to be in it. It must be of God. He must be behind it. He's got to be all over it. And we have to pray for that. We have to pray often, pray much, that He would be behind everything we do in this building process. Then we talked about this. That idea from Nehemiah chapter 2, that He uh, to strengthen our hand for the work. We've come to see that that God has filled our toolbox with everything that we need for a successful endeavor in building. In other words, he didn't say just build yourself, build each other, now go figure out how you're gonna do it. No, he, he's filled our, our toolbox. He's given us tools to be employed across the whole landscape uh, of every area of our life. Now, I, I want you to see, this past Sunday and this Sunday, we've looked and we've kind of uh, taken out our toolbox. I almost brought one to kind of illustrate, but we've taken out our toolbox and we've started looking at each of the tools that he's given us. And we've identified them and we've done so in context of the challenge from first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 right that we're called to comfort one another encourage but also to edify to build up one another So we're looking at it in context, but we're identifying every tool. Now I want you to hang on because in the weeks coming, we're now going to take each tool and look at different areas in our life. We're going to look at our homes, uh, parents and grandparents towards children and grandchildren, how we use these tools. We're going to look at our marriages. How do we use these tools within our marriage to edify my spouse, to build her or him up? We're going to look at it as obviously we're already looking at uh, concerning the church. We're also going to look in the Community? How, how does God want me to take these tools and then build up the community around me, whether it be co workers or, or my neighbors or whoever it might be? How does God want me to employ these tools? But before we go to work, we have to know what tool we have. What are the tools in our possession, and how am I supposed to use them? And so that's really been our study for these couple weeks as we continue even today. Remember, we've seen these tools already. Number one, our words, our words. Kind of the key verse there is Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it might minister grace unto the hearers. We talked about how you and I have to have guards in our mouth, in front of our mouth. Don't let anything out that is not edifying, building something up, lifting somebody up, in it Is not uh, ministering grace. It's got to minister grace and minister to someone. We've seen that ensuring that everything we say uh, is both building up and also guarded at the same time. Then we talk about our spiritual gifts. Paul wrote in First Corinthians chapter fourteen and verse twelve. Even so, ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Taking our spiritual gift using it for God's glory and for the benefit of others as He designed it. Every single believer has a special spiritual gift, one that God has entrusted to you and endowed you with to be used for the benefit of others. If we're not doing that, boy, it's a terrible result, isn't it? We said this last week. There's construction to be done within the family of God that has been left undone or incomplete because some Christian somewhere has left their spiritual gift in the toolbox. And what a shame that is that there's someone here waiting to be ministered to, but it's not because someone left their spiritual gift in the, the toolbox. So we're challenged to, to take it out, to, to use it. Then the last but not least, we saw that certainly our prayers are huge. Our praying one for another, as James 5, 16 says, and Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, bear ye one another burden. And the context intimates that we do that through prayer. When we pray for each other, when we go before the throne of grace on others' behalf, many are, our testimony sitting to hear to that today. Brother, brother Dave mentioned Mrs. Anderson, brother uh, also Miss Connie Cooper his brother Dan Camille's here and, and Miss Mabel boy we've seen it already that is encouraging when someone prays for you and to see the results of prayer is encouraging to the one who prays. And it builds us up in the faith. And that's what we're striving for. To draw closer to Jesus Christ. Into His likeness and to draw closer to our Heavenly Father. So now we want to add to this toolbox. In Hebrews chapter 10, look with me at verse 24 and verse 25. Okay, that was supersonic speed review. Okay, now we slow down. We get into what we have for today. The next tool in our toolbox. We're going to see it. Notice it if you will. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What an appropriate song the men sang. Uh, that better be ready. Jesus is coming. Because the last part of verse 25 is speaking of that. The day of Christ is approaching. His return. So what's our next tool? I like it. You may not have ever put it into those terms. But here's our next tool. Our provocation. Our provocation. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, notice it. Paul's statement is this. You and I are called to provoke one another unto love and good works. Now, I've said this so many times from this pulpit. We know how to provoke people. Boy, we know how. To, I, it's natural. I, growing up, I had an older brother, and boy, did he know how to provoke me. And I knew how to provoke him. I see it in my own children. I see it in adults who drive on a uh drive on the roads. Someone pulls out in front of them and they ride their bumper. They pull out in front of somebody and somebody's riding their bumper, they're slow down 15 miles just to show them. Boy, we know how to provoke. We do. I see it in the, the school here and the interactions of the kids. Boy, do we know how to provoke. Hey, I've seen it in church here among the married couples. Oh, I see some wives who know how to provoke their husbands they know what gets them going they know what to say or what to do that little thing that just kind of gets them and oh man boy do they know how to get them going get them irritated maybe a little bit a word or an action whatever the case may be and husbands you and i do it too i mean i i know i i put it away I, i i put it away in my brain what gets my wife going And I can pull it out every once in a while because I know what's going to push her buttons or provoke her, what it is that I say or that I do that can get her going. And sometimes I do it just to mess with her, just to have a little fun. We know how to provoke. That's not in question, honestly. We know what it means to provoke. We know what it means to instigate something, to to stimulate something getting going, okay? So we, we get that part of this commandment. But here he says this. You need to stimulate, you need to provoke, you need to stir up love in me, and I need to do it in you. And as you look down the pew and across the auditorium, we're supposed to stimulate, stir up love in each other uh, for certain things. So what do we suppose it is that we need to stir our love up for? Let me put it this way. Illustration as far as stirring it up and how you do that, and we'll get to the the what here in a moment. This past week, I had the privilege of having what we call here at Fostoria Baptist Academy. That's our our Christian school, great blessing, great ministry for the children of our church. Really, it's just uh, just for such the, those who belong to our church and our members and so forth, faithful members. And, uh, what I do, and I started it seven years ago or so. I have pastors' pizza party. Everything's alliterated when you're a pastor. It's wonderful. Okay. Okay. And, uh, Pastor's Pizza Party, we have it twice a year, first grade through sixth grade, and boy, just a great time. We enjoy being with the little ones, and, uh, twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring or winter, and we have a good time. We play games, we have pizza and everything else. Well, what I started seven years ago appropriately was because it's Pastor Henry's Pizza Party, and the assistant pastors help out and things like that, and, and, uh, we have Dr. Pepper, we have Funyons. I mean, you gotta have that, so. that's a given and so forth so i I, I, we've had it every time and and we tell the kids you know if your parents allow you to drink pop you can have dr pepper funyuns are for everybody and uh, because they're just fun yum Uh, and and they're just good stuff and so what we pastor aaron we he was helping me obviously this week and he's standing he goes wow you have really brainwashed these kids (laughs) they're all eating funyuns and drinking dr pepper i'm like yep i sure have In fact, two bags, we had 20-something kids, and two bags of Funyuns were gone. There wasn't a crumb left. In fact, I don't even know if I got any. Can you believe that? That is a travesty. That's a crime. Most of Dr. Pepper was gone and over. Hey, can I tell you? He says, you're brainwashed. I said, no. I've just provoked them to love Dr. Pepper and Funyuns. That's biblical. Now listen to me. You say, well, how do you do that? I mean, you hear me talk about it. I joke about Dr. Pepper and Funyuns now because <laughs> yeah, I'm older and bigger. It's diet, Dr. Pepper. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I-, I-, I talk about liking it, enjoying it. And, and you know what? Kids, pick up on that and listen to it. Listen. Hey, this is not, I hate to break it to you, this is not talking about provoking people into loving Dr. Pepper and Funyuns. But it is talking about provoking people to love something. In the very same way that I might do it for Dr. Pepper and Funyuns, you and I are supposed to do it for love. What are we supposed to do? What kind of love? What is it that we provoke people to love? Well, certainly, obviously, number one, others love for God. I need to provoke in you a love for God, a desire to know Him more, and such is our mission statement uh, that you and I would know God, love God, and live for God. And then we learn and to do so through the preaching of the Word of God. So I'm provoking in others, uh, through my words, my actions, my presence, a love for God. That, that you, and, and understand, this idea for you to provoke another believer is that they would love the Lord thy God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their might. That's a high degree of love, isn't it? So I have a part in building that in you. Helping you see man, God is good. God is worthy to be loved. He is worthy to be lived for. And it isn't just a pastor's responsibility. It's every believer's responsibility. Provoke unto love. There's a secondary love. Obviously, we're supposed to provoke in others a love for others. We're to provoke in others a love for others. In other words, we ought to encourage, stimulate, stir up each other's love for fellow believers, but also the unsaved, those who Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Every person, the creation of God, we are called to provoke and stir up that love for them. There's a third one. Uh We're supposed to stir in others a love for the things of God. The Christian life, the fruit of the Christian life, to stir that up. And, hey, you, you ought to love everything that goes along with being a Christian. All the commands that he's given us and, and all the things that it means to be a Christian, to be a lighthouse and, and to shine for the Lord and, and just uh, to love and to edify, to encourage. We ought to love these things, producing the fruit of the Spirit and love, joy, peace, long time. You name it, we ought to love those things. And so we ought to stir that up in one another. Provoke one another unto loving these things, encouraging them all along the way. Then he says, not only are you supposed to provoke one another into love, but we are to provoke unto good works. We're to stir up in each other good works. How would you describe it? Well, good works in one essence is just living godly, holy, Righteously. I'm to have a role and responsibility in you doing that, and you're supposed to have a role and responsibility in me living righteously and godly and holy, pure in a way that reflects well our God, our Savior. You're supposed to stimulate that in me, and I'm supposed to stimulate it in you through my words, my actions, everything I do. It's to lovingly provoke each other to righteousness. In those words and in those deeds our actions. We would also say this, uh, provoking unto good works would it also incorporate this thought. It's actions that are in obedience to the commands of our Master. I'm supposed to encourage you to obey our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're to provoke me to do the same thing. You're to challenge me, to stimulate in me, to stir up in me obedience to our Heavenly Father, to our Master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm to do it to you. Man, that's a great responsibility and role, isn't it? As we gather together as a church, I'm challenged to, cha- to challenge you, to, to provoke in you obedience to the word of God. And you're to do it and not me. We're to do it in each other, to provoke that obedience. Now, here's an interesting question. We've alluded to doing it with our words and so forth and, and actions, and certainly that's true. But this is really interesting. I want you to see this. In this passage, he answers the question, well, how do we provoke others? What's the most important way? What's necessary for us to provoke someone else to good works and to love? How do we do that? What is the answer? Well, verse 25 gives the answer. Notice it. He answers it himself. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now listen to me, listen to me carefully. To be a provoking Christian, you must be a present Christian. You see that? To be a provoking Christian, you must be present. You must be here. You must be with the family of God. Not a loner, not kind of doing your own thing, but you're plugged in, you're a part of the family of God. Literally, may I put it this way? You've got to be here when the family assemble. If we are called, and as we are, to stir up in each other this love and good works, you can't do it if you aren't gathering with a family. Literally, the whole context is the assembly of God. Assembling together, coming together, the family of God, and what it looks like when we worship and when we meet together. Now listen to me this morning. The Holy Spirit is telling you and I that we must be here. And when we are, then we can work to keep the fires of the Spirit burning brightly in one another. We can edify one another, lift up one another. Now don't misconstrue it. Okay, you know, pastors on a, a legalistic rant about always being here when the doors are open, when every every activity I have to be here. That's not what I'm saying. Because literally, for all that we have going at Fastoria Baptist Church, that's literally impossible. Take it from someone who's here a lot. Okay, I understand that, but here's what I'm saying, and don't miss it this morning. This is what the scriptures are saying. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to impart to you and I. When the family gathers together to eat, you should come to the table. When the family gathers to eat, you should come to the table. There are times in our house when my wife Erica has has prepared a luscious, delicious meal, and she'll say, time to eat. And I'll tell you, that means it's time for everybody to come to the table. It's Time for every boy and every girl and every husband, that's only one, by the way, (laughs) to come. Sit at the table and eat. Can I tell you this, my friend, when we gather together as a church... It is a family gathering. It's getting together, and what are we coming to do? Well, we do well as Baptists. We're coming to eat. You say, fantastic. Pastor, are we going to the gym after this? No, we came to eat spiritual food. The Word of God, the bread of life as it's called. That's what we've come together. And my friend, Paul says, listen, boy, as we come together, and I'll tell you this right now, and I'm sure you experience every family here, the best conversations we have is the family often happen at the dinner table the best interaction we're sitting around afterwards we're talking we're hearing what's going on in everybody's life and we're enjoying what the day of school held and and talking about what shouldn't happen at school or whatever the case may be and and we're going to we're just talking about things we're getting to know each other we're building up one another in our conversations and our words my friend that's exactly what church is that's the family of god gathering together That's you and I edifying and building up one another, provoking one another into good works, provoking one another unto love. This is what God desires. Your very presence at church communicates two important things. Don't ever forget it and don't miss it. Two things are communicated when you come to church. Number one, God is important to me. And number two, you people are important to me. My family is important to me. And my God, who started the family, is important to me can't get around it that's literally what you're communicating and in that your presence provokes others to love god in the family of god like you do and i'll tell you this morning i'll be honest with you i am tremendously concerned about the church of christ in modern day as i look around i fear that we're losing a grasp on this truth you see in verse 25 did you catch what it says It says, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and the exhorting one of another so much the more as we see the day approaching when Christ will come back. You know what I think, unfortunately, some modern Christians interpret that or have read that to say? So much the less. So much the less. Not so much the more. Is Christ coming back soon? Yes. Be ready. We've heard it sung about today. The signs, the the times are, are, are pointing to Christ's return at any moment. So, so much the more. Consider one another to provoke unto good works and unto love. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. So much the more. and I fear... Even churches are embracing a mentality that says so much the less. We see churches no longer having midweek services or Sunday evening services. We gather together less as a, as a church family. Why? Because our lives are crowded with personal and secular pursuits. It is a shame to say in America there are churches that are dark and empty. You can drive through a town on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night, and there are dark churches. You answer the question for me. You tell me, does a dark and empty church provoke people to love God more, or does a lit-up church filled with both light and people ready to worship God provoke people to love God? What is a greater testimony to the community of Faustoria? Oh, there goes those crazy Baptists. Parking lot's filled again. Those lights are on. And they're always going in there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and and Wednesday. You tell me, what will they at the very least think? They must love God. They must love God. God's important to them. That church is important. Let the world say what they may. They want to say that, uh, that it's a crutch in our lives, that God is. So Let them think what they'll think. But I'll tell you right now. I'll tell them God is important to me and the people of God. Are important to me that's why Paul says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together our presence in this building when the family gets together puts us in a position to use this tool of provocation provoking one another into love and the good works when we are present then we can in turn use our words and our actions and even our uh, every other tool that we have in our toolbox to provoke each other into love and the good works So let me ask you this morning, are you using this tool of provocation? Who is it that you've recently provoked unto love into good works? Who are you having a positive influence in? Teenagers, you can have as good of an influence as anybody. You can. You can provoke other believers unto loving God and loving others and loving the things of God. Adults, you and I can do that. Let me ask you this. Are you present to do so? Are you present? A provoking Christian must be present are you here are you among the family of god are you interacting are you building up others it's a great challenge for us here's another important tool that we find in our toolbox not only a tool of provocation turn with me to romans chapter 12 if you will romans chapter number 12. romans chapter number 12 look with me we'll look down at a simple verse verse number 15 romans chapter 12 and in verse number 15. We've added to our toolbox, our words, our spiritual gifts, our prayers, our provocation, based there in Hebrews, provoking unto good, work, or, uh, good works and love. Now we come to Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 15, a great verse. Paul is expounding and, and challenging you and I to do this. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. How would we describe this tool? We'll see another verse that reinforces it. This tool is simply this, our companionship and our camaraderie. Our companionship and our camaraderie. See, Paul then went on to expound upon Romans chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 26. He says this, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. It's a challenge to camaraderie and companionship. Uh, Simple exhortations to you and I as believers to show ourselves friendly, to make companions and friends from within the household of faith. You know, there is a camaraderie that is to be shared among God's people that cannot be rivaled or matched by any secular group. As you and I have in common two things that set us apart like no other. Number one, we have in common Jesus Christ our Savior. We talked about this in our study of the church. I won't expound much upon it, but that's what we have. Number two, you realize the other thing we have in common? Well, because we have the foundation of Jesus Christ, guess what's different for us than any other group? Our future. Our future. So those two things immediately ought to produce in us a camaraderie and a companionship. Literally, that produces itself in this. You and I take a lively interest, an ongoing living interest in each other. There's a companionship that ought to be on display and lived out that roots out and banishes any form of loneliness. It ought to be that there's no Christian who's lonely because you've learned, okay, I'm a part of the family of God. I need to get plugged into the family of God and the local assembly. And through that, I'm provoked unto love and to good works. And there's companionship and camaraderie found within that family of God. I love my family, Erica, and the children. And there's things we enjoy that I don't enjoy with anyone else because we're a part of our family. There are things that, that I know they understand as much your family does for you. And, and boy, there's something about being a part of that family family, a camaraderie, a companionship that's like no other. Can I tell you, my friend, when it comes to being a Christian, there is something about being amongst the family of God that produces a companionship and a camaraderie. A unity and a a, a just a a heart shared. We are on the same team. We're all part of the same family. We have so much in common. It ought to be easy to get along, build each other up through being a close-knit group of believers. But I want you to see this. And here's where we often falter. and Here's where someone, ah, I go to church and I just don't, I just don't feel that way. And I, I, I'm a Christian. I just have never, I've never been able to get plugged in like that. Here, here, here's what we miss. And really the next step, this companionship must be both sought and given. The old flesh doesn't like it. The pride, the devil doesn't want you and I to, to get together because you know what the devil knows? You and I are stronger together than we are individually. So he doesn't want our companionship camaraderie. He doesn't want you and I acting like a family of believers. He doesn't want that. And yet God says this is exactly how you're going to build up one another. And you ought to build each other up in the family of God. So what happens? Well, it must be sought after. It must be given. It does not simply happen. uh, But rather, it must be cultivated, uh, nourished, grown, sown. Uh, The foundation is already there, though. The pieces and the start has been provided. In other words, God has given us all these things we have in common. God has provided Jesus Christ as our foundation. And we've already looked at it times before. We have one Lord, one faith, one spirit. All these things we share, we have in common. So the pieces and the start are present for you and I now to be a tremendous force for the kingdom of God. To experience camaraderie. Camaraderie and companionship. Let me give you some examples where we see this uh, on, on a smaller, minute scale. Take, for example, where you work. Now, some of you who have worked at a place for 10, 15, 20 years, some of you who have retired from factories, and, and whatever the case may be, what I've always found interesting that employees, they come to work there one way or the other, often different from each other, but when they work there, they have several things in common, and there is a familiarity, there's a shared purpose and a goal, a shared prosperity even, a shared authority, a commonality that provides the groundwork for friends companionship and camaraderie to develop or at the very least these teamwork I, I find it interesting we have many who've retired from gm or other places whatever the case may be and and i hear them speak of of guys who worked with them on the line or whatever the case may be and 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 i, I i've been with them before when they've seen somebody who they've worked with and and there's an obvious companionship camaraderie why simply because they worked at the same place they things in common. Things. And so there's a shared experience that produced a level of camaraderie and companionship. And I'll tell you, my friend, it ought to be that way with church. And even so more. There's another good illustration. And again, many of you here would, would be able to identify. You take a battalion or a group of soldiers in the armed forces, a, a platoon or whatever you, you want to call it and term it you see they may have all gotten their different ways some they, from the moment they were young they wanted to they, they wanted to be in the armed forces they wanted to join the marines or the army or the navy or the air force all right i think i covered it all okay so they've they, from a young child they want to be a soldier and they want to do this and others they got older and they had nowhere else to go maybe even got into trouble they needed help had no direction that's why they joined. but they all come from different directions and yet they come To be within that group, that platoon, that troop, that regiment, that squad. They serve together. They train together. They spend time together in a bond that is hard to explain unless you've experienced is built. Now listen, if you're in the military, you know this better than I. If you're a police officer, you know this better than I. There is a bond, a camaraderie, a companionship that is both produced and necessary among soldiers so that they, when they go into a battle, when they go into a difficult situation, they have learned that they can trust one another. They have learned that, that we've gone through thick and thin and they are my brothers and sisters in arms and I know that I, I they have my back. There is a camaraderie and a companionship that has been built and developed and cultivated that, I'll tell you, it's a bond that goes deep. Boy, you see you see, men and ladies who've been part of a, a regiment or a squad before and they see each other. Man, there's something they share that others don't share with them because of what they've gone through together. They've fought together. Now, can I tell you, now let's bring it down to spiritual application. That is exactly how it ought to be in the family of God. Camaraderie and a companionship like no other. Can I put it this way? We are to be working together. We are to be serving together. We are to be fighting for Christ together. We are fighting against the forces of evil together together. We have much in common, and there must be a companionship and a camaraderie present that builds each individual believer up so that the whole is better for it. One of the great easy ways to experience that for a Christian, a member of a church, is go on a missions trip. Well, you go on a mission trip, and it's, it's an intense time, a focused time of working together, serving together, and there's bonds that are that are built on mission trip. My wife and I have had the privilege of taking many with teenagers, and things. Man, I'll tell you, nothing grew our youth group together like a mission trip going on it, or going to camp together, or whatever the case may be. And nothing did that. We have some men who just came back from working in Carolina. Appreciate their efforts down there, but those kinds of mission trips, they will they will help you get a taste for what it's supposed to be like in the local church. Can I challenge you with this? You can't be a loner and fulfill this call upon your life. So which believers at FBC do you share a companionship and camaraderie with? Are you plugged in where you, man, I just, I, my, my friends are at FBC and I just enjoy going there and boy, we're serving the Lord together. We're fighting Satan together and we're, we're winning souls together. We're, we're just serving the Lord together. There ought to be that kind of companionship. There ought to be that kind of camaraderie, and we ought to build that up in one another. We ought to get people here, get one another, make sure you're here, come on out to this. Let's get involved in this together. Let's work together for the Lord. You know what I like about this? It's a reciprocating tool. As I, as I extend companionship and camaraderie to someone else, I become a recipient of it. I have for myself found a a companion, a comrade among the family of God. So who is it that you will build up this week? Through being there with them. How did these verses put it? When someone's there, when they're weeping, you weep with them. When someone is rejoicing, you rejoice with them. When they're honored, you rejoice. You're excited for them. There's a companionship and camaraderie that the Bible speaks of is to be in place in a local church. And you, who's in charge of doing that? Well, Pastor Henry, I think we need a camaraderie uh, group of people. We need a board. We need a committee. No, we have a committee. We don't call it that. We call it the family of God. Each one of us are in charge of that. We don't need to set aside a few folks. We're all set aside for it. We don't need to designate a a handful of people. Hey, you need to build up the companionship and camaraderie of FBC. No, everyone here is too. We're part of the family of God. And you and I are called to edify and to build this up. To do what these verses say. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Encourage when the cares. Bear one another's burden. We could go on and on and on. Can I encourage you? Take up the tool. Take up the tool build companionship and camaraderie last but not least i'll give you one more tool and we're done turn with me to colossians chapter three it is one that you already know we will not spend time with it but i will challenge you with it this morning we will not spend too much time considering but look at colossians chapter three if you will please colossians chapter three look down at verse number 16 colossians chapter three in verse number 16 colossians three sixteen says this let the word of christ Dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And here's the application. Take that and do what? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Obviously, we have to throw this tool in the toolbox. It's there. God's given us. We build ourselves up through the Word of God, but also our exhortation by the Word of God, building someone else up, using the the Word of God. Notice it. We are told, boy, I love the author of Acts said this, Acts chapter 20 verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And notice what he describes is the ability of the word of God, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So first of all, what do together? Number one, God's Word has to dwell in you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So it's got to dwell in you and in me. We study it, we memorize it, and then we're called to employ it. Well, we're supposed to do so as a dependable, powerful tool to build up others. I share it in Word, using it as a Word that's fitly spoken to encourage and build others up. I take God's Word and I, I speak it into your life through sharing it and giving you a, a, a verses or a verse for your life i i i often will often huh i'm sure i i get a a reputation for it i will often speak negatively about social media let me say something positive here is one of the things that i think social media is a great thing for get out the word of god build others up through the word of god get in your social media and 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 proclaim the word of god build up others use it as a means of impacting and influencing by regularly posting scripture truths gleaned from the word of god use it as a platform to build up others as it becomes a voice by which to share the truth of god's word if you're a christian you have social media build somebody up through it You know, here's the problem. What is most social media focused? Building myself up. Building myself up. That's what most people use social media for. Look at me. Look at me. And what are we often doing? We're building a straw man is the old term. In other words, we're building an image of ourselves that we want people to believe is us. As opposed to using social media as what? A means to build them up to proclaim Jesus Christ. Hey man, my friend, use social media, fantastic. But if you're a Christian, you ought to fulfill and use this tool of exhorting people through the Word of God through social media. You ought to share it and push it and and proclaim it in every way you can. You say, Pastor Henry, I'm not in social media. Good, that was not an encouragement to start. But many of you have a phone. You can send an email. You can send a text message. Can I tell you, it is easy for you and I to share God's Word. Just find someone. Find a fellow member. Say, hey, man, Lord laid you on. Pray about it. Father, who would you like me to encourage through your word this week? You can drop. Hey, snail mail still works. You can put a, 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 a card, a note in the mail, and it will actually get delivered. Amen. So you may not be tech savvy. You may not be all about computers and cell phones and all that good thing. Fantastic. You can still drop a note in the mail. Somebody can get it a few days later and they can open it up. And there is a precious verse to encourage them that day. To build them up. To edify them. See, it's it's one of the easiest tools. You know what I like? I like a hammer and I like a Phillips screwdriver. You know why? Because they're easy to use. Even I can use them. However, constructionally challenged I may be, yeah, I love a tool that anybody can use. Here's a tool that anybody can use. You just take the word of God. And you say, "Listen, this is I know what it does for my own life. It builds me up. It encourages me. So now I want to do it in the life of someone else." So the simple, honest, obvious application is this: Do you use it? When is the last time that you shared a Bible verse with someone? or you shared hey can i just share can i just tell you i I send a text man the lord showed me this in my devotions today man it was so good and it ministered to my heart and it challenged me and i I just thought i'd share it with you and i love getting those emails i love getting those text messages because often uh, the holy spirit is the author of it all and what was shared boy it ministered to my heart as much as it ministered to someone else's heart I mean, encourage me and lift them So let me ask you this. Hey, here's the challenge. Here's the homework assignment. We're going to pray here in a moment. And as God has spoken, we're going to respond. But here's, here's a homework assignment. Would you just commit this week, just, just commit to doing it for one person this week? Sending a word of Scripture, texting it, emailing it, putting it on social media. Hey, maybe you say, I, I can do that. In fact, I can do more. I can do it every day this week. A different person. Every day. Seven people, seven days in the week. I can encourage them through the word of God. Will you commit to it? Will you commit to it? Will you commit to turning your social media into a means to exhort and build up by sharing God's word?